there is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. I want you to open your Bible with me again in the Old Testament to the book of Genesis, this book of beginnings, and I want you to find Genesis chapter number 27, excuse me, Genesis chapter number 28 in your Bible. And we began this morning in the Bible study hour early in the book of Genesis to see the first mention of this place, Bethel. The first person that it is recorded went there and built an altar and met God there was Abraham. When you come to Genesis chapter number 28, it is not Abraham, it is now his grandson, Jacob. Uh, how many grandparents are here? Would you raise your hand, please, all you grandparents? That's good. You know, I used to think grandparents, I loved my grandparents, of course, but I used to think going in and out of church as grandparents were the craziest people on earth because all they want to talk about were their grandkids. And they couldn't talk for five minutes without pulling pictures out and saying, let me show you who they are. And about five months ago, our oldest daughter gave my wife and I our first granddaughter. And I have become one of those crazy people now. She's just the greatest thing in the world. And she's sweet and wonderful and precious in every way. But it has opened my spiritual understanding to some things. And that is that your purpose is not done when your children are grown. That in Scripture, it is always at least three generations. There's Abraham, there's Isaac, there's Jacob. There is Psalm 78, us, and then our children, and then our children's children. In other words, it's not just about what God is doing in you. It's about what God can set in motion through your life. And so when you come to Genesis chapter 28, you're coming to the grandson of Grandpa Abraham. Abraham taught his son Isaac some things about God. Isaac was kind of an ordinary fella. Aren't you glad God loves ordinary people? Nothing really outstanding about his life. He was a man of faith, but nothing like his father or his son uh, in, in the record of his life. But then the grandson comes along. Uh, we know Jacob as the schemer, the deceiver, the trickster. His name means supplanter. You remember he outwitted and out talked his brother on more than one occasion, robbed him of the birthright, <laughs> cheated him out of the blessing, and he was a mess. He was a mess. Aren't you glad God does great things with people who are a mess? God doesn't wait till you clean your act up and fix yourself up and straighten everything out to do something great in your life. God begins right in the middle of your mess to do something. That's the grace of Almighty God. And it's in the middle of this mess. It is before Jacob becomes Israel. It is before he even becomes a prince with God that he has his own encounter with God. And guess where it happens? It happens in a place called Bethel. Look at Genesis chapter number 28, beginning in verse 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. 
And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. Would you just look at verse 11 for just a second? This does not sound like the Marriott Hotel that he's describing here. This is not some comfortable place. It's a dark place. The lights go out. The sun goes down. The shadows fall. It's a hard place. Look at his pillow. Would you look at his pillow? It's a rock. I don't know about you, but I don't want a rock for a pillow. But it's all he has. Would you use a little sanctified imagination? Would you put yourself in his sandals for just a moment? Would you, would you stand in this place we now know as the house of God, Bethel, with a broken man? He's on the run. He's a fugitive. He's looking over his shoulder. He's wondering if his past will catch up with him. He's wondering what will happen with his brother. He's wondering what will happen with, with the family that he's just departed from. There's, there's just a, a whole lot going on in this man's mind. There's a whole lot swirling in this man's life. And it is at that moment that he has his own encounter with God. May I say to you, every person must have their own experience with God. A few months ago, I was preaching in a certain place up north, and I was not preaching this portion of Scripture. In fact, I don't remember. Maybe I have. I don't remember preaching from this portion of Scripture. I have been a long time. I was preaching from some other portion of Scripture, and somewhere in the message, I made a similar statement that every person must have their own encounter with God. And I, I went on. I didn't think much about it. We had a good meeting. We had decisions for Christ. And I went back to where I was staying, came back to the evening meeting. When I came to the door, the pastor motioned for me. And he said, come in the office here just a minute. And I stepped in and sat down. And he said, I need to tell you something that happened this afternoon. I said, all right. He said, one of the fine women of our church called me this afternoon after I got home. And he said she was weeping and and she said to me, Pastor, I need to be baptized tonight. And he said, hold on, let's back up just a minute now. You, you've been saved and baptized and you're a member of the church. And she said, I, I need to tell you something. She said, I've been a member of this church for a long time. When I came to this church, I told everybody I was a Christian. And, and she said, I, I did get baptized. She said, but this morning in the middle of that message, she said, the the preacher, just kind of off the cuff, said everybody needs to have their own experience with God. And she said, I can't explain it, but it was like that was the Holy Ghost just grabbing me. And she said, I went home. I didn't come forward. I went home and I got alone and I said to myself, I don't know that I've ever really had a personal encounter with God. I've been a church member. I've been baptized. I've worked in the church. But I don't know that I really know the Lord. And she said over the phone to her pastor, she said, Preacher, I got down on my knees here at my house this afternoon. And she said, I met God. And she said, I settled once and for all that I know I'm saved. And she said, now I want to follow him in baptism as a Christian. I want everybody to know that I know God. I'm just going to tell you, when you meet God, it makes a difference. Don't you tell me you've met the creator God of the universe and it made no difference. Mm -mm. 
You can't convince me the God of light moves into your heart and nothing changes. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. This man certainly wouldn't. I certainly am not. It doesn't mean your life is going to be perfect. There's still going to be dark days. There's still going to be hard things. But when you meet God, it changes your heart. And here he is. Look at verse number 12. And he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. How many of you ever had a dream in the middle of the night that you thought was pretty wild? Too much pizza usually, isn't that right? That wasn't this kind of dream. God was showing him something. Verse 13, and behold, I love this. The Lord stood above it. By the way, the Lord stands above everything. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it into thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. By the way, may I just say this? This is the promise of God to the nation of Israel. It's a promise of a throne. It's a promise of a land. It's a promise of a king. And it is a promise that just like every other promise God makes, God is going to fulfill in the end. God is not finished with Israel. You ought to be praying right now for the peace of Jerusalem. While you're at it, you ought to pray that America stays peaceable to Jerusalem. But don't miss the personal nature of what God says to him. It wasn't just about the nation collectively. It was about him individually. Aren't you glad? Oh, I love this. Aren't you glad God loves individuals? Aren't you glad God loves wounded people, weary people, wicked people? Aren't you glad that God looks at sinners and says, I want to be with you. And I want you to be with me. Do you understand what this is? This is a revelation. We call the last book of the Bible the book of Revelation. But Revelation doesn't start in Revelation. It culminates in Revelation. Revelation starts in Genesis. The revelation of God is on every every page of Scripture. God is revealing His heart not just to Jacob but to all people in this passage of Scripture. God says, I'm coming to you in the dark night, in the hard place, in the weary moment when your life is a mess and I want to bring you to myself. I can say to every man, every woman, and every young person listening to me right now, every one of you on the authority of the Word of God, I know the will of God for you. The will of God for you is God wants you to be near Him. And if you're not near Him, it's not God's fault. No, no. If you're not near Him, it's because you've let sin come between you. The prophet said, your sins and iniquities have separated between you and your God. The problem's not on his end. The problem's on our end. Jacob, something's got to change. Look at verse number 16. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep. Dear God, awaken us. And he said, surely the Lord is in this place. 
and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place? Do you see all the references to this place, this place, this place, this place? Do you know what makes a place special? God in that place. I, I could drive you. I could drive you not too far, about an hour and 50 minutes from where I'm standing right now. I could drive you to a place that if you drove by it every day, you wouldn't think there was anything special about that place. But it's place is special to me because it was in that place where I first met Jesus as my Savior. It was in that place where a woman gave the gospel to me and I invited Christ into my life. That was a place where I met God. I could take you to a little guest bedroom in the basement of my parents' house and you wouldn't think it was anything special. Uh, but it was a special place to me because that was the place where I started learning day by day to meet with God, to read the Bible and pray and came to know God in a greater way. Look, it is God that sanctifies us. It is God that makes you holy. It is God that makes any place holy. Bethel was an amazing place. It, it was situated at a crossroads. If I showed you on a map, there was a, there was a major thoroughfare going east to west and going north to south. It was on a crossroads. Oh, my friend, at every crossroads in life, you must meet God. It was at a high place. It was used for worship. The idea was we get up as high, as close to heaven as we can. I like that. And it was overlooking all the rest of the land. It was about, if I remember right, 28 or 2,900 feet above sea level in Israel. That is a very high place. And so here they are on the crossroads and at the high place. And in the middle of the night, God says, I, don't want, I want to bring you a little higher than where you are right now. I want to bring you to me. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table and a higher place than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Dear Lord, don't let me live in the lowlands of life all my days. Help me set my affection on things above and not on things on the earth. How does that happen? Only when you meet God. Keep reading. Verse 17, how dreadful is this place, he says. This is none other but the house of God. Remember, that's what the name Bethel means, house of God. And would you read the closing phrase of verse 17 with me, church? Ready? This is the gate of heaven. Everybody take your pen out and mark that phrase in your Bible, the gate of heaven. See, God has a way for us, but the only way to get on the way is you've got to come through the gate. Remember what Jesus said? He said, I'm the door. You come through the door, you find pasture, you find all you need. But there's only one door. Listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus now. This is not about Jacob. This is about Jesus. Listen to Jesus in John 14, 6. Say, I am, same phrase used here, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. May I ask, have you come through the gate? When you come to the cross, Come to what looks like an ending, don't you? <laughs> Look, men going to a cross weren't coming back. That was, that was the end. It was a terrible, awful end. When you come to the end and the lights go out and Jesus cries, It is finished. Somebody said, It's over. Uh -uh. No, it's never over with the God of beginnings. you got to go just, just a little ways beyond that cross. And there's a tomb. And the door's open. The stone is rolled away. The gate of heaven has been opened to you. And he ascends back to heaven. 
And when he gets there, do you know what happened when he got there? The psalmist told us. The psalmist told us that when the king of glory showed up in heaven, they said, who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Look, on the day that the crucified, risen, ascended Lord ascended back to the right hand of the heavenly Father, I tell you the celestial pearly gates of heaven went all the way up and Jesus walked into his rightful place. But here's the good news. When Jesus walked through the gate, he left the door open behind him. In fact, I can prove that to you because in the Revelation in the New Jerusalem, the gates never shut. Would you like to know why that is? Because Jesus is the gate of heaven. Now, wait a minute. Abraham, Abraham had been to the gate. Have you been to the gate? But now Jacob must come to the gate for himself. I don't care who your mom and daddy is. I don't care who your grandparents are. I don't care what kind of, of, of history you may have or even heritage you may enjoy. You can't get to heaven on somebody else's faith in God. No, oh, you, my friend, must come to the gate. This is where earth touches heaven, where heaven touches earth. The psalmist said, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Where does that happen? It happens at the gate. Three words I want to leave with you today. They're not my words. They're God's words. They all start with the same letter, so they'll be easy to remember. But I want you to take your pen and mark them in your Bible because all three words are found in the verses that we just read together. Would you read the end of the story with me? Verse 18, and Jacob rose up early in the morning. And took the stone that he put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. I love that the pillow became a pillar. <laughs> and he called the name of that place Bethel. There it is, house of God. But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. Would you circle the name Luz? Because <laughs> that's the first word. Somebody said, well, I thought you were going to talk to us about Bethel. It's the same place. Different name, same place. This was the ancient name for Bethel. Before, it was referred to as the house of God. It was referred to as the city, the ancient city of Luz. They tell me the terrain in Luz was very bleak and dreary. That makes sense because it seemed like all he could find was a stone to use for a pillow. It's a high elevation, and it's just a, a stony, dry, barren kind of wilderness wasteland. What a picture of exactly where Jacob was in his life at this time. By the way, any time away from God is always time spent in, in love. That's what it is. It's bleak, and it's dreary. This is, you know, I, I travel all the time, and I get to go lots of different places around the world. And I'm going to tell you what I've discovered. The most beautiful places on earth are ugly if the presence of God is not there. I don't care how beautiful it is. You can be standing on the most beautiful place on earth, looking at the most amazing vista, but if you're not right with God and not enjoying the Lord's presence, it's miserable no matter how pretty it is. And I can't explain this to you any other way, but I have been in some ugly places. I really have. I was thinking driving over the mountain today, what a beautiful part of the world we get to live in. And what a beautiful place God has allowed you to live. But I have been, I'm not going to tell you where they are, I have been in some places I thought this is one of the ugliest places I've ever been in in my life. But you know what I've discovered in the ugly places? In the ugly places, the Lord makes it beautiful if his presence is there. 
See, the Lord takes ugly things and makes them beautiful. The Lord takes empty things and makes them bountiful. The Lord takes natural things and makes them spiritual. Bethel, the house of God, was the same place other men looked at and said, oh, it's just a run-of-the-mill place, just another place, just, a, just an ordinary place. And maybe you think today is just another run-of-the-mill day. No, it's not. Today's the day to meet God. And maybe you think, ah, we just came into the church building today. We're going to sit through another sermon, and then we'll be on our way to lunch. Dear Lord, if that's all that happens, get up and leave now. If we're not here to meet with God, you don't need to hear a word that I have to say. Let this day not be Luz. Let this day be Bethel to you. Let this day not be wilderness wandering, dreary and bleak and barren and hard and dark. Let it be the day that you draw near to God. See, God alone is the one who changes Luz into Bethel. Jacob was in an interesting place on his journey. His past was pretty muddy. He had lied, he'd stolen. <laughs> He's a sinful man. Anyhow, the Bible is so blunt with us about men's failures, it doesn't gloss over them like we do on social media, you know. It doesn't make everybody think they're perfect. This is not a perfect man. We're not perfect people. And his past was muddy. And for the record, everybody's got a past. And maybe some of you right now are sitting thinking about your past. And the devil's using your past like a club to beat you over the head. And the accuser of the brethren keeps bringing up your past. I want to tell you that by the grace of God, you can get past your past. There is therefore now no condemnation of them who are in Christ Jesus. Look, when your past goes under the blood of Jesus, you get a new beginning with Almighty God. And as surely as Jacob's past was pretty muddy, Jacob's future was foggy. He was uncertain. He was unsure. He didn't know where to go next. He's trying to find a place. He's trying to build a family. He's, he's trying to establish himself. He's trying to do for himself what he couldn't do for himself, what only God could do for himself. And he's trying, looking into the future, thinking, I don't know what's next. I, I don't know what to do. His, his past is muddy, and his future is foggy, and his present is dreary. Boy, that sounds hopeful, doesn't it? So here he sits in Luz. Oh, I love this. And that place mm, was the very place where God met him. You, you understand that the way to have a new beginning with God is not to try harder, do better. It is to come to the end of yourself and say, Lord, I quit. And God says, very good. I've been waiting on you to get there for a while. Lord, I'm at the end of it. God says, great. Because the end of you is the beginning of him. The great threshold from Luz to Bethel only happens when men come to the end of themselves and heaven applauds and God steps in. This is the gate of heaven. Sin brings you to a wall, just a dead end. God brings you to another door and says, I've got more for you. There's a second word I want you to mark in your Bible. You, you marked Luz, right, in verse 19. That's, that's where it started. That's what it was. Go back to verse 12, and I want you to mark the word ladder. He dreamed, and behold, a ladder. God very often uses symbolism in Scripture. What is a ladder? 
This is deep. Are you ready? This is something people in any culture would understand. You know what a ladder does? A ladder takes you from down here to up there. How many of you are still with me? Yes? It's a picture of ascending, of going up. Watch this. Sin does this. The Lord's way does this. The devil gives you his best up front. It's all downhill from there. And on the path of the justice, the shining light that shineth more and more under the perfect day. It's higher and higher and nearer and nearer until finally we're in the presence of Almighty God forever. I was working at the house the other day. A piece of trim fell off the house. A windstorm came through. And a piece of facial board had come off and, and is laying out in the yard. And I, I thought to myself, it was high. It was really high. And you know men are stupid. Did you know men are stupid? And I thought, I'm not going to call anybody to do that. I can fix that. And I only had one ladder. It's a big, long board and only had one ladder. I should have had somebody video it. I'm laughing about it now. I wasn't laughing that day. And I had my son Grant with me, and I, I said, Grant, hold that ladder, son. And I said, put your feet at a certain place where the feet of that ladder touch. Do you know why? Because I wanted the ladder not to move. You ever been high up on a ladder and something started shifting on you? That's not a good feeling. I'm up on that stupid ladder, pardon me, holding that board and trying to balance it and trying to get a nail started in to get one piece of it secure enough so I could move down the line. I fought with that thing and finally, finally got one nail in. <laughs> finally, able to get the thing back up where it needed to be. But that ladder, you know, swaying and shaking. Yeah, and I just tell you, you better be sure you're on the right ladder. I hear about people climbing the ladder. They're climbing the ladder. And they get to the top and find out it was leaning up against the wrong wall. You better make sure the ladder you're on leads to the Lord. At the top of it was the Lord. Two things about this ladder I want you to notice. First of all, the ladder symbolized access to God because it, it went from where he was to where God was. This was not a ladder that, that man built. It was a ladder God put down. Matter of fact, you might want to mark the word in verse 12. It was a ladder set upon the earth. You better be sure it's the ladder God set and not the ladder some church set. You climb men's ladders all you want to. You better make sure the ladder is the right one. My grandpa that I mentioned earlier used to sing that old spiritual, we are climbing Jacob's ladder. You better understand what that ladder is because the great aim of life is not something, it is someone. It is not even a place, it's a person. The great goal is we want to know God and you can't get to God on your own. Man could never reach God. I love this, so God reached man. God sent the ladder down. How do we know it was God's ladder? Look at it carefully because angels are going up and down on it. You ever seen any other ladder on earth had angels going up and down on it? You know what this is? This is a ladder that not only symbolizes access. It is a ladder that gives real assurance because we know that this is a ladder sent out of heaven to make a way so that man could come to God. There's another place in the book of Genesis where man tried to reach heaven. Anybody remember it? Tower of what? Babel, confusion. You ought to read the Tower of Babel story again. They tried to build a tower up to heaven. They said, we'll become God. We'll go up where God is. And God just peered over the balcony of heaven, watched those little ants scurrying around down there, and finally one day said, let's go down and check out their tower. By the way, the tower never got to heaven. 
And when God came down, God confused all their languages. I'm telling you, when you try to set your own ladder and make your own way and chart your own course and, and choose your own path, there is a way which seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It brings only chaos and confusion and conflict in the end. Only God's way is the right way. God alone makes the way from man to God. And so what is this ladder? I want you to hold your place. Put your left hand here. Do not lose your spot. We're coming right back. And with your right hand, I want you to go to the New Testament. See, the Old Testament is just the foundation on which the New Testament builds. Somebody said, are you an Old Testament person or a New Testament person? Yes, yes, I am. All Scripture given by inspiration of God. And the latter is just a, a type, a symbol of someone. Come to John chapter 1. We're comparing Scripture with Scripture. Jesus has a conversation with a very religious man. A man who knew the Old Testament, a man who had read the book of Genesis, a man who would have been well acquainted with Jacob's ladder. And I'll prove that to you. Look at John chapter 1, verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him. And saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. <laughs> I love that verse. Do you understand Jesus always sees you wherever you are? And he not only sees you, he knows you. I can look at you, but I don't know you. God looks on the heart. Jesus knew this man's heart. Verse 48, Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, before Philip called thee when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Hold on just a minute. Jesus saw him coming before he ever saw him coming. Remember, Christ is the God-man. He knew all things. He knew right where that man was sitting when Philip said to Nathaniel, Hey, come meet this man we just met. I think this is the Messiah. Verse 49, Nathaniel answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, teacher, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. He said, I, if you know my name and you know my heart and you know where I was, you're not a normal teacher. Verse 50, Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. I love this. Jesus said, you're impressed with that? You haven't seen anything yet. Look at verse 51, and he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter... Ye shall see, pay close attention to the wording, heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the ladder. I do no injustice to the Scripture here. That's exactly, the, he's using the Old Testament story to reveal who he is. Look at it carefully. The ladder is not a thing it's not seven steps to better your life and five ways to kick a bad habit. No, no. The latter is an individual. He is the God-man. He is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. He is the Son of Man. He is God who became a man without ever ceasing to be God so he could bring man to God. He said, heaven's going to open and you'll see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Somewhere, would you write in the margin of your Bible in Genesis 28, Jesus is the ladder from earth to heaven. Christ is the way from man to God. And by the way, that ladder never moves. The gate is open. 
and the ladder is set. Thank you, Jesus. The ladder never shifts. The wind blows. It never shifts. The foundation upon which it stands is the blood of the everlasting covenant and the promise of God and the unchanging character of a God who cannot lie. The ladder never moves because Jesus made a way so that man could come to God. If you're away from God, come to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Get to the ladder as quick as you can. You say, you don't know what I've done. You haven't done anything worse than Jacob had done. Get to Jesus. When you get to Jesus, you'll find the house of God is welcoming. The gate of heaven is open. The ladder is set. Jesus stands there with nail-pierced hands and arms wide open welcoming you in. The ladder is Christ himself. And look who's at the top. Would you go back to Genesis 28 and mark the third word? You got Luz, that's where he was. You got the ladder, that's what got him from where he was to where he needed to be. Come to verse 13. And behold, look, the Lord stood above it. Would you mark the Lord? See, the great thing in this story is God himself. Do you know why I travel and preach? you know why I'm trying to preach the way I'm trying to preach? Because I don't care if you remember my name. And I am not at all interested in somebody saying it was the greatest sermon I've ever heard. I'll tell you one thing I want. Dear Lord, let this be. I want you to know God. And I want you to love Him. And I want you to desire to be nearer to Him. Do you know what God wants? God wants worship. True worship. You know what true worship is? It's when man recedes into the background and circumstances recede into the, to the periphery and suddenly it's all eyes on Jesus. He not only desires it, he deserves it. The Lord is worthy of our worship. He wants you to know him. God wants in Genesis 28 what God wanted in the Garden of Eden. You know what it was? To be with man and man to be with him in unbroken fellowship. Do you know what God wants in eternity? He wants to be with us. God himself shall be with us and be our God. But that's not just what he wanted in the past and what he wants in eternity. That's what he wants now. God wants you to know him as your Lord. And I wonder, do you really know the Lord? Do you really know him? See, only God can make Luz Bethel. Only God can make stones an altar. Only God can make a place on earth, the gate of heaven. Only God can do that in our lives. And God only does that when we come to him like Jacob did and say, Lord, we got nothing. We just got nothing. You want to know why we haven't had a revival? I'm going to tell you why we haven't had a revival. Because we think we're, we got enough to get through and get by on. You humble yourself fall at the feet of Jesus and say, oh God, we're desperate. I promise you the Lord will show up. You're trying to straighten your own family out, sir. You're trying to fix your own problems, ma'am. It'll never work. It'll never work. You must come to the gate of heaven. You must come to God himself. Only God can do that. There's two groups of people in this room. There's some of you who need to meet God for the first time. I mean really get saved, be born again, and know, settle it once and for all that you belong to Jesus and he belongs to you. And then there's a whole bunch of us who have met God, past tense, who need to start meeting with God every day again. 
Some of us need a new birth, a new beginning, and all of us need another fresh start with the Lord. And where does that happen? It happens when you come to the gate of heaven. And for the record, that's not as far off as you might think. Do you know John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress? There's a character in it. It's one of my favorites. He's called Evangelist. <laughs> Evangelist was the guy who pointed Pilgrim to the way. And in one place, Evangelist said to Pilgrim, Do you see yonder the wicked gate? That was the gate that would lead to the celestial city. He said, no, I don't see the gate. He said, well, do you see the little bit of light up there? He said, yes, I see the light. I love this. And evangelist says to Pilgrim, he said, follow that light, and if you'll follow that light, it will lead you to the gate. Some of you right now, God's giving you just a little glimmer of light right now, just a little glimmer of hope, just... Just a little glimmer of God. You can't see it all clearly yet. You don't know how it's all going to work out yet. But watch me. Follow the light God gives you. And if you follow the light God gives you, God will give you more light. And the light will lead you to the Lord. And Pilgrim finally got there. He got to the gate. He walked through the gate. And when he got on the other side of the gate, he fell at the cross and his burden fell off his back. That's God, friends. That's Bethel. That's what happens when you meet the Lord. Yesterday, we conducted a, a seminar. Some of your people were there in Beckley, and we did four sessions all on the Bible. Reading the Bible. How do you read it effectively? Studying the Bible, praying the Bible, teaching the Bible. Just trying to help people at the beginning of the year get into the Bible, get God's Word in them, and share it with others. And very, very practical, very simple. People from seven states, it was great. We just had a great time with God's people. People like the ones I'm preaching to this morning, hungry for God. The meeting finished, and we were talking to people and saying our goodbyes, and I grabbed my things off beside the platform. We were using another facility, and Came down the aisle, got back to the vestibule area, and our team, our workers were cleaning things up, packing things up. A man who had been the point man for the facility, his name is Mike, was standing there in his uniform, worked for the Tamarack. And and interestingly enough, Mike only got that position the day before our seminar. The day before. We'd worked for somebody else that had a change of personnel, and the day before... I talked to him on the phone and found out he's the, he's the guy going to help us run everything. That was the Lord. I love divine appointments. I tell you, there's nothing in this world like watching God work. I said, Mike, you did a great job. All your workers did a great job. Thank you for helping us. He said to me, uh, you know, I listened to most of what you said today. I said, Really? I didn't see him in the, in the auditorium. He said, I, I was up in the AV room. He said, I had to come and go a little bit. He said, but I stood up there, and he said, I listened to a whole lot of what you had to say today. And he said, I really think what you talked about today is it's kind of what I need. I said to him, Mike, are you a believer? He said, no, sir. He said, I, I've, never, I've never really been in church in my whole life. My whole life. He said, I was raised Catholic as a little boy, but he said, I, I don't really know God. He said, but I think I'm close. <laughs> and I'm thinking on the inside, I think you're close too. I said, come in here and sit down with me a second. And Mike and I went and sat down on the platform, just the two of us, empty auditorium. 
And I opened my Bible to Romans 10, and I read to him that verse that said, The word of faith is nigh thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart, God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That little phrase, nigh, you're not as far away as you think. Oh, you're far from God because of your sin, but God draws near to you. And you can just, just like that, with faith and confession, come to the Lord. And I'm showing him this verse in the Bible, and, and his eyes lit up. I mean, it was like the aha moment. He got it. He'd heard all of his life the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He had never connected that to him, to his sin, to his need for eternal life. One of our workers, one of my helpers came through, and, and I said, uh, Chase, we need to get this man a Bible. He didn't have a Bible. And Chase said, I'll give him mine. He went and got a nice, nice leather Bible, Oxford Bible, and brought it back, handed it to me. He said, just give him this one. That man said, I can't take that. I said, it's free. It's a gift. We're giving it to you. He was overwhelmed. And I said, but there's a better gift. It's free too. It's called everlasting life. And you can receive it by simple faith. I said, Mike, would you be willing to invite Jesus Christ into your life to be your Savior, to repent of your sin and believe on Christ? Or would you be willing right now to confess that you're lost and need Him? He said, I would. And sitting on that platform, we bowed our heads. I wish you could have been there. And it was sweet. It was a highlight of the day for me. I mean, people came from all over the East Coast and studied the Bible with us all day long. And it was a lot of fun. It was great. The highlight of the day for me, the exclamation point on the whole day, was listening to Mike pray. When he got done, he looked at me and he said, I'm a little bit sad. I said, how's that? He said, saying it out loud, realizing what a sinner I am and how much I need God. He said, I'm a little bit sad. And he smiled and said, but it's a good sad. He said, because this is exactly what I needed. You know what I found? That little auditorium yesterday became the gate of heaven. The Lord was there. I texted Mike late last night. I said, I'm praying for you. He had committed to come to our home church today. I think he's there right now. I was almost here this morning. He texted me back. <laughs> he said, I appreciate what you did for me yesterday. And I look forward to the journey. And he said this. this is, and look, this is a young man who's never been in church. Didn't have a Bible. He said, it continues today as I'm going to church feeling hopeful and excited. You want to get on that kind of journey? You want, you want that kind of path? It starts somewhere. You have to come to the gate. And Jesus, only Jesus, is the gate of heaven. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. 
For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible-preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit, and don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.